Hey everyone, welcome to Meat Sports Alcohol for Tuesday, August 3rd. I'm your co-host Dylan. I'm JMO. We have a super awesome show for you in store today. First, we sit down with Mirren Fader. She's a staff writer at The Ringer, and she's the author of the new Giannis biography, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, which will be in stores August 10th. Uh, Really, really fun interview. Super insightful. Also, fantastic book. Um, Had a lot of fun with her, and you'll definitely want to tune in for that. Then after the interview, uh, we do another edition of The Chicken Coop, which is our stupid meat sports alcohol version of uh, the Shark Den. Wait, the Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, uh, where we pitch meat and alcohol additions to the Summer Olympics to try to improve the Summer Olympics. uh, What events that we would want to see, which bring in the other two aspects of our show here. Uh, so stick around for the interview, stick around for that segment, and take it away, chat. We now welcome on Miran Fader. Uh, she's a staff writer at The Ringer and author of the new Giannis biography, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Uh, the book is available August 10th in just a week here. And we were just saying it before we got live on air here, but I just want to say it again. Absolutely amazing job with the book. Um, Dylan and I both just read it and finished it in the last few days and really, really just amazing cover to cover so thanks for joining us and thank you for writing such an excellent book oh thank you for such a kind intro and kind words i'm really happy to be here um so watching all of coming on the tail end of the bucks run through the playoffs Giannis's insane performance in the finals um how much were you pulling for the bucks (laughs) and was them winning the greatest book promotion you could have ever imagined. Uh, yes. And <laughs> I became a Bucks fan. I know it's bad to say. Um, we're not supposed to cheer in the press box, but I was doing a whole lot more than cheering. I was screaming. I was nervous. I was scared. I was happy. I, I felt every emotion, and I haven't felt that way in a long time watching a game. I don't know if just doing this as a job has kind of like, I don't know, made that a little less than it used to be growing up. But yeah, I was just like, please win. You know, the Nets series just had me on edge every single game. And um, of course, like I could have never predicted that they would win. You guys read the book. There's a lot in the book about the Bucks' struggles of never being able to break through. And so um, best promotion a girl could ask for, but I'm definitely just shocked. (laughs) I honestly, I, in it, reading it with the context of them winning, kind of all of it feels like a nice closeout. Like it's all right. building up to this ending that you know have has already happened. Like, oh, will they or won't they? Oh, you know, the early seasons that Giannis was on the team when they struggled so much and all of it was just leading up to this final outcome that just happened. So um, it seemed like the universe was 
was in your favor uh, for all this. So thank you, universe. Thank yes. you. <laughs> yeah, it, it honestly felt a bit odd reading the book because on one hand, like Dylan said, knowing the ending, knowing that he will become a finals MVP, MVP champion. There were times where I was reading the book and thinking like, this man is destined for this. It feels like mm-hmm. destiny that he'll land in Milwaukee, end up with this sort of career and everything else. But at the same time, defying all the odds, like he wasn't destined at all. He grew up in poverty in Greece, was literally starving. Um, and it wasn't obvious at all that he would become who he was. Um, so it was kind of just a weird dichotomy with both of those things um, being true at the same time. Yeah, and that I think that's why Milwaukee fans love him so much because he wasn't supposed to be here. They love the idea of somebody being a late bloomer and really having to like work their ass off to get to where they are, you know? I mean, what fun would it be if he was like a top prospect at age 13 destined for everything? You know, it's it's just so sweet that this guy through like sheer luck and perseverance ends up not only winning a championship, but legit saving the franchise. Like people forget Milwaukee almost left Milwaukee. Giannis literally kept them in the city of Milwaukee. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And, and that last, just last year, there was so much speculation about what he was going to do, if he was going to stay all that. And he made it a point that he wanted to stay and he wanted to stand, stand by the organization that took a chance on him. Um, I think there's, a lot in the book, uh, you have a, a portion of it that that goes into the history of Milwaukee, kind of some of the sports-related traumas that they've endured with you know, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar leaving, um, just difficulty with the franchise in general. Did Giannis take much of that into account? Did he kind of, was he aware of the history in um, of the team, of the city, and did he take that into account with his decision to stay? I think when he first got there, he definitely wasn't, you know, he didn't even know who like OJ Mayo was, you know, let alone the grades. And it's funny because the back in Greece, you know, people would come up to him and say, you're like Dr. J. And he had like no idea who Dr. J was. So he definitely didn't know Kareem back then, but you know, I'm not sure if that, that was on his mind um, all these years later when he was thinking of his decision, but he was certainly very aware of those decades old wounds as he was, you know, staying and solidifying himself as a superstar, because, you know, Giannis is like the first guy in a really long time to come to Milwaukee and say something positive about this city. You know, these people are so used to getting ripped on. And here is Giannis saying like, no, you guys are wonderful. This place is wonderful. And so I think that he, he was just very aware of how people had treated Milwaukee fans for so long and how frustrating it was to love a team that was just so mediocre. Yeah. And and it's also interesting. And one of the things that you write in the book, too, is that like Milwaukee was kind of the perfect city for Giannis as well. The GM at the time, John Hammond, you talk about like how he really spent time with the players, um, how the team was in a position where they were willing to take a chance on him and give him playing time and things like that. Do you think Giannis's career would have gone differently if he had landed in a bigger market or Atlanta like he was kind of supposed to in a way? Yeah, I definitely think it would have gone differently. I mean, I do think because of Giannis's work ethic, like he would have been successful no matter what, but I don't know how successful. I mean, the way that the Bucks treated him that rookie year was almost like a son, you know? Mm. I, I mean, you just don't see that in the NBA where 
you know, front offices teach you how to drive and text you late at night, make sure you're not lonely or, you know, lecture you like, don't get in the car with strangers, you know, just, just real like sweet care and, and TLC. And you just don't get that these days. And I think that Giannis, this, this to me shows why we should give prospects time to develop because in, in today's market, like maybe they would have thrown him into the, the G League, right? But mm-hmm. he he got to play and learn on the fly because they were so terrible. So, you know, everyone always talks about like, oh, Giannis thrived there because small town, perfect place. I think he thrived because they were so bad and he got to get experience. You know, there's, there's a benefit of winning 15 games. You get to get in the starting lineup. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All of the, it was funny. So many of the times where you were like, Oh, Giannis played like one of his best games up to that point, or like kind of showed the world who he was in this game or that game, but they still lost like one Oh two ninety seven. Like that was always <laughs> yeah. like the last phrase of the sentence. Um, no, I have to still switch it up. There's only so many ways you can be like the team was struggling, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> they were and or like, they came up short again, you know, it's just like such a struggle. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's fun. I mean, it's funny some of the the details that in the early seasons that you go into about like the the pastors playing pickup at like lunch <laughs> yes. and just like all the stuff. Like I I almost wonder if like Giannis, like just the kind of the fact that it was a low lower level organization in a mid tier city, they didn't have all the bells and whistles. Like if he got drafted by the Miami Heat, his brain might have exploded. Like, cause the facilities would be so nice. Miami's so nice. Like it, it almost was like a very good transition. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, the place you just mentioned where the priests would play pickup was this, you know, practice center attached to a church and it was so run down, like Chris Middleton injured himself there because the leaky roof and, you know, the place that they played their games, the Bradley center was so frigid, but Giannis is like, Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. This is just amazing because from where he's coming from, this is a step up. So you're right. Like if he went to a flashy city, I think it would just be insane. I mean, the image that's stands out to me was when um, Atlanta was really interested in him. And I spoke with the then GM, Danny Ferry, and he was describing Giannis coming into, I think it was called Phillips arena at the time. I'm not sure where mm-hmm. the Hawks played and Giannis just crying. He's just, he's just, the tears are coming down standing on this court. It's the nicest thing he's ever seen. You know, I mean, the bucks did not play the precursor was not like Pfizer for him. So yeah, I mean, who's to say what would happen, but I think that's why I really loved working on this because I feel like every single thing that happens, it almost doesn't happen, right? Like he starts late. He has this tough upbringing. He doesn't have papers. He can't play for the top teams. Miraculously, he's drafted. They're terrible. He gets to play. You know, there's like all these things that happen that are just like pure circumstance that makes him into what he is. Yeah. And speaking of just real quick, because this is both something that Dylan and I separately had in our notes leading up to the interview. You just touched on Giannis being in Atlanta, going to Phillips Arena, being that close to almost becoming an Atlanta Hawk. 
Uh, do you think there should be like a trigger warning for Atlanta Hawks fans <laughs> in reading the book that you should put something at the start between him, them missing out on him on the draft, and then the whole Nate McMillan like rising stars challenge, him holding a grudge <laughs> against him? Like, I live in Atlanta. I might not tell my friends to read the book. They're gonna be too sad. Oh, you gotta send them the trigger warning. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. So I don't know. Should I spoil the Nate McMillan anecdote? Give him a little tease. Rip it's- the band-aid off should it's we do a it? pretty it's a pretty good tease yeah should we, should do, we it. do it yeah okay. i do it <laughs> okay. the trigger warning's been said yes we gave you a trigger warning if it's too much i'm sorry um you know to not listen to the pod at this point my hawks fans um basically Giannis is really hyped to play in this rising stars game he's like oh my gosh this is my opportunity and while all the other players are not taking it as serious they just want to have fun Giannis is sprinting like this is a real game and he finds himself on the bench Nate McMillan has forgotten about him Nate is the coach of his team Andre Drummond has to you know is playing really well and and Giannis just is looking at Nate longingly like put me in the game, put me in the game, you know? And then he says to Nate, like, but coach, what about me? And it's this adorable, like, remember me, I'm still on the bench, put me in coach. But it isn't this arrogant, like, what the hell, like, put me in the game, you know? So after the game, Giannis is fuming. He goes up to Josh Oppenheimer and he's like, you'll never believe what Nate McMillan did. He sat me on purpose. And Josh Oppenheimer, the Bucks coach, is like, you know, it's okay. Like, I'm, it'll be fine. And I was like, no, he will, he will pay for this. And so, and then Nate, I talked with Nate as well. And he's like, honestly, I just I wasn't keeping track. I lost control. Andre was good. And Giannis told me, I'll be back. You know, like as like an empty threat, like I'll be back. And so Nate told me, he's like, I wonder if Giannis still remembers that. Every time I play against him, I think, does he remember that? I'm like, Nate, actually, yes, he does. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. sure. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's just sitting before the Eastern Conference Finals, just thinking back to that moment of the Rising Stars. You know, just just like, I see you, Nate. Like, I'm not forgetting that. (laughs) That was the fuel that he needed. It's, (laughs) it's it's, It's so funny, like with Giannis because like there's there's such an interesting dynamic between like his innocence um coming into the league and like just this you know like you said he's just this nice little cute kid and then and then just on a like on a quick flip he'll switch into like a Kobe Mamba mentality like super determined like holding a grudge type person and it's it's so interesting that he is able to switch back and forth between those two like versions of himself so easily. And I think also like he, he's just so complex in the same way that he vacillates between those two things really quickly. I think he does the same thing being a goofball and then being insanely prophetic and insightful. Like he's just like so funny and then so serious. And um, he, I think he's the most compelling NBA player. There's just not somebody with the combination of personality and game and, just versatility in terms of what he does on the court and off the court. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, Speaking of that sort of like childish kind of bubbly personality that Giannis has today, but especially had when he came into the league, um, you, you read about one story where he was screaming something along the lines of I'm Michael Jordan, I'm Michael Jordan. And a teammate (laughs) of him getting upset and being like, who the hell is this kid? Uh, and just getting severely annoyed by him were there more stories of those kinds of teammates that 
like even though Giannis was lovable just like couldn't really put up with that young childish bubbly personality of his you know what it was really only Miroslav whose last really? name I am gonna butcher and and I Radulicic we're gonna forgive me on this and okay. I okay unless you have I avoided it you're, I avoided you're forgiven it. because we avoided it entirely yeah <laughs> okay, I was I, try. somebody had to go go for it okay so Miroslav hated him but there really wasn't anyone else I was really surprised and to be quite honest with you I was a little nervous at first because if you're interviewing 221 people and they all say positive things about someone like where what kind of book is that you know yeah. so but then I was like okay but there's still other complex things he, he it's okay that he's beloved in fact him being beloved actually makes this make sense and work but yeah I it really was only Miroslav. Like a lot of them just liked him so much because it would be one thing if you're just annoying, but he worked so hard that they yeah. had no choice but to respect him. It's not like he showed up like, whatever, I'm just going to bounce through layup lines. You know, like he was a really, really hard worker. It was hard to not like him. Yeah. And I mean, by all accounts, like just, it was his genuine self. Like it was. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so speaking of, like you said, you know, 200 interviews, like you said, a lot of them overwhelmingly positive. I mean, that's going into the history of, of Giannis and like throughout his entire life. Were there any interviews that you did specifically that really stood out as really insightful or just mm -hmm. very interesting or even just the characters that you ran into, like from you know, some old Greek coach from Giannis's middle school days or. Yeah. I mean, the first one that came to mind was Raman Rana, who was his, one of his childhood best friends. And um, Rana was just great because first of all, they were so close, but also they were both people of color on a majority white Philippicals team. And, and, uh, you know, Rana was able to share some experiences of like bonding with Giannis because both of them were people of color and just hearing how, you know, racist a lot of people were towards Giannis was really important to me because I think people gloss over that aspect of his life story or they just kind of don't know it because it just hasn't been told as much in depth. So I thought that was really fascinating. The other one I thought was interesting was Spiros Velinakis, the man that discovered Giannis and discovering that he has a rift with the family and he wants to be paid. What I thought was really important because, um, you know, Spiros, people know that name. That's like the one character people know, but people have no idea that there's this feud behind the scenes. And I think, as I say in the book, like Spiros really embellishes the story a lot. You know, I, I really don't believe that at 13 years old, Giannis playing tag, running around, made Spiros think he saw Mozart. I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. you know, I, I, I give Spiros credit, but I think he's an embellisher. And um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting to just, to have that in there and say like look this guy is demanding money it's not this fairy tale you think it is he's like upset with the family so that was interesting for me to learn about and he was just so angry he just he was so angry I mean really? he started like um yeah his tone with me got really testy because I, I I was just asking questions and he was just so annoyed with Giannis and I was like oh, okay um so that was interesting and then I think finally um I really appreciated talking with Giannis's mom because she doesn't really talk to a lot of people. And 
I could see first glance at the way that, you know, she's not really as comfortable talking to strangers. You know, she was sitting very far from me on the couch at first. And it wasn't until like 40 minutes in, did she like, she handed me an Altoid and I felt like I like crossed some boundary, you know? And so, um, she was the one that actually took me to Giannis and was like, Giannis talked to her. So that, yeah. that was, yeah. So that was really cool. And and just having her quotes in there about how like, yeah, I worked in important places in Nigeria. And when I got to Greece, they were like, this doesn't matter. Um, because again, I think we have put this fairy tale over Giannis and his family, like rags to riches, American dream, but it's like, they really had a hard time and it's not this great, you know, I mean, it is a great story, but it's, it's not this like Disney movie, you know? So I really enjoyed those three interviews. Yeah. 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 The the first one that you mentioned and speaking with Rana, his, his friend, I got to say personally that you speaking to kind of the racism that Giannis confronted all the way from like the names that he was shouted at while playing in Greece to golden Dawn, which I had never heard of, but like this, racist terrorist organization neo-nazi group that literally threatened Giannis up until the point he was in the nba was right. like something that i knew nothing about going into the book and was just like wildly illuminating mm-hmm. um and I, kn- I know we're short on time here but was that sort of the same experience for you in, in writing the book like did you know that you were going to be confronting all that when you took the you know decided to go forward with the Giannis biography or what was it like kind of unfolding that story Yeah, like you, I literally never heard of Golden Dawn before. And I just was like floored. I kept watching Greek documentaries on this group. It was so chilling. It was so disgusting. And it was really important for me to talk with other Black migrants. And, you know, I didn't originally set out to do that. But I was like, in order for me to understand what Giannis's experience was like, I need to talk with other Black Greek people to understand what their experiences were like. You know, the goal for me was like, talk to as many people as possible, try to understand the context, because if you don't have that kind of context, um, it's not going to make sense how improbable Giannis's story was, because I think if he did not get his citizenship fast tracked because the Greek government knew he was going to be in the NBA, he might end up like any of these other black migrants that are running from Golden Dawn. You know, he could easily be like them today. One of them that I charted the journey of throughout the book, Emmanuel Godwin, is still at the place trying to get papers every morning at 4 a.m you know, and like, he didn't get to ascend the way that Giannis has. So I think it surprised me that there's so much current day racism there. You know, I, I certainly, I certainly had an inkling that there would be racism when he was growing up, you know, in the nineties and and early two thousands, but to see murals of Giannis right now, as he's a national hero, be desecrated with swastikas, that was a surprise to me because you could not pick a more um, like dignified person to represent your country. And Giannis professes his love for Greece all the time. And, and so it's just, you know, it's, it's jarring, but not quite unsurprising that they don't always embrace him. And tons do. I, I, that's, the, that's the key thing I want people to take away from this book is that were there white Greek people that were awesome to him and took care of him and gave him food and were compassionate on rent and fixed him a hot plate and got him Gatorade 100%. And we list a lot of them that people have never heard of. Were there also this terrorist group going through the neighborhoods, scouring for people like Giannis and like his family. 
police walking around ready to deport people who look like them? Absolutely. People saying racist things at him during games? Absolutely. So I think for me, the challenge as a writer was like, how do you hold both of these at one time? How do you show a really balanced view that shows, okay, it's not like Giannis goes out of his house and he's terrified, but when he sees a golden dawn person, he books it the other way because it's he knows what can happen. So it's it's just trying to be as as accurate as possible. And and that really comes from the 221 interviews that we've talked about. So yeah. And I would again encourage people to read the book to learn more about this because everything you're saying there, I think you did a phenomenal job. And that part was is wildly illuminating so thank you um, yeah um well once again uh, now, thank you so much for taking the time um we really appreciate it i'm sure your schedule is super busy uh before we close out um i really quickly wanted to just go over so Giannis, when he comes into the league he's 18 years old he can hardly bench the bar let alone yeah. any weights on it um and now he is literally a Greek god. He is a sculpted Greek god. Did you happen to get any workout tips? Like I'm trying <laughs> to get my bench up, you know. Did you happen to get any in those 221 interviews? <laughs> oh my god, me too. Um, well, I know <laughs> well, one thing he does that I think is you know really cool, he does a lot of like the sled stuff. He'll like push like Mariah, his his girlfriend will be on the sled and he'll like push her, and so it makes his workouts fun. So I got to watch him do that. Um I'm trying to think of other well if you want to get mean like Giannis you can practice your scowl in the mirror after you bench press I, that, I think that that was the next question okay. we wanted to ask yes, yes so I'm so glad you thought this is that. actually great this worked out perfectly like, <laughs> I had it highlighted in our notes yeah. okay yeah so he like you're saying bench press and work on his scowl just like in a mirror like yeah, yeah like to see how good he could get it yeah yeah what are your thoughts how how have you done <laughs> Has he perfected it? Oh I think my he's, god! Yeah, he's I mean the scowl right? that he gave like, after the alley oop dunk in Game Five. Yeah, to, to just put it away—that was an all-time scowl. That's Iconic. a man who practices scowl. Iconic. He he just dead in the he knew exactly where the camera was. Yeah. I mean, the funniest part is like okay. To look in the mirror and practice the scowl is like funny on its own, but, but the way that he would like do like 10 reps of something and then rush to the mirror as if it's going to show up, you know, yeah. like, let me just check the biceps, you know, and yeah. then like do, do his angry grunt face. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so triggered. I haven't been to the gym since pre-pandemic, but yeah, <laughs> I, I see, I see the guys do it. Apparently this is a thing you would know more than me, but yeah, I, it, it gives me hope what you, you guys can practice your scowl if you, you play pickup. Well, so before we let you go real quick, we have been practicing our scout. <laughs> we were wondering if we were wondering if you could pick between Jamo and I, who has the best scout. Let's go. That oh is God, the Giannis so expert. All right, Dylan, you want to yeah. go first? All right. Yeah, I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> all right. That was pretty good. All right. All right. I had to and then, and then you can compare us to Giannis. Are you yeah. ready? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of more constipated there than, than angry. 
Uh, Dylan's was a little fiercer. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, okay. Just, right. I, I think I it put was my in mouth the, to a tiny little. Yeah, your your ball. mouth was like this, and Dylan went for the nose. He knows yeah. it's all about the nose. It was a sc- real scrunchy. All right. Yeah. All right. But if there's time to practice. Look, Giannis transformed. You can transform. You did. Yeah. There's hope for all of us. <laughs> yeah, among the many. Among the many things you can learn in Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP, is that <laughs> your snarl can get better in time. Yes. yes. Um, well, thank you, Miran. I know we went over your time here, and I know you're very busy, but thank you so much uh, for taking the time. And this was a blast. It was a blast reading the book, and we really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this, and th- this competition at the end just made my entire <laughs> week. So thank you for having me on. Thank you for being the most most fun, most creative podcast. Is truly Ooh, appreciated. Wow, there you go. <laughs> you're on you're on quite the tour right now. Uh, so yeah, that's that high is, praise. Considering you've been on praise. 900 podcasts, I think um, or will be in the next week. And seriously, everybody who's listening to this, go get this book. It's great. You will fly through it. Um, really great job. Thank you so much for taking the time again. This was this was a ton of fun. Thank you. It's now time for the chicken coop. In this edition of the chicken coop, we're going to pitch each other some ideas on how to improve the Olympics on what events should be added that involve alcohol and meat because they already have sports. And then we can all agree there's not enough meat or alcohol in the Olympics, right? I mean, especially summer Olympics. Like you gotta have some some yeah, glizzies and summer. some beers. Yeah, it's barbecue weather. It's barbecue weather. We're already out there playing some sports. Mm-hmm. Get a couple of glizzies around. Yep. Uh, so we each came up with some ideas. Dylan, want to get us started off with what you would want to add to the to these Summer Olympics? Yeah, 100%. Well, I think this one is a no-brainer. Uh, speaking of glizzies, um, the ultimate glizzy competition um, and an American institution is the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. And so I 100% think we should add the Hot Dog Eating Contest. One, because... I think that eating 70 plus hot dogs in 10 minutes is far more impressive than a lot of Olympic sports that are out there. Like, like the one where they just sit on horses. Yeah. The what the horse does all the work and the horse yeah. just dances around. Yeah. That one, the ribbon gymnastics, not the actual gymnastics, but the one where they just float ribbons around. Yep, um, yep. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, plus we have a guaranteed gold medal winner for, you know, as long as he's going to be around in Joey Chestnut and Joey Chestnut, I will go a little bit further is a better athlete than 70% of the current Olympians at least. Uh, All right. All right. So yeah, that's my pitch. I'm a hundred percent in on your pitch. And uh, you're kind of cramping my style because this was also one of mine, but with a slight variation. Okay. So I also wanted to introduce the hot dog eating contest to the Olympics, but here's how I wanted to do it. All right. Nothing is more summer than eating hot dogs and playing baseball, right? Now, baseball kind of sucks in the Olympics because it's in the middle of the baseball season. So you have none of the good guys. So instead of just getting rid of baseball entirely, what I'm introducing is we have a hot dog eating contest and then they just go out and play a couple innings of, of like softball after. So you can't have, and it would be 
strategically interesting because you can't just go like the best baseball players and have them not be able to eat any hot dogs, but also the other way around, you can't just have a bunch of like hot dog eaters go and play a couple innings of baseball. That would be an interesting. They twist. need to be well-rounded. Yeah. 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 Like strategically it would be, uh, it'd be a game of chess. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm obviously in on that. Um, we may have even fixed baseball a little bit there too. So, yeah, at least international baseball. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely in for that. And again, something that I know that we could dominate in uh, just dudes crushing like 50 hot dogs and then just hitting dingers. That's an American institution. right? Yeah, there. If, we don't, if we don't take home, if we don't take home gold on that one. That's the end of America. That's the end of democracy. Yeah, I mean, to say. people think that it's embarrassing when the USA uh, national team loses for basketball. Imagine how embarrassing it would be when the hot dog baseball team loses. Crushing. Oh, my God. Crushing. Yeah. So a lot of pressure on our boys there. Um, but yeah, definitely 100% in on that as well. Seems like we got a nice little duo there. Um, plus, <laughs> there there's plenty of sports that have two of roughly the same kind and you get separate medals for that. So both of ours could be in, I mean, like swimming, there's like the butterfly and the breaststroke and the backstroke. It's all swimming. Yeah. for it. The butterfly is to breaststroke. What eating hot dogs is to playing baseball. That's what they say. That's what they say. Exactly. Uh, What were some of your other ones here? Okay. So the next one uh, that I had, which, uh, is is i can't find the name of it um, all right but it's the drinking game that they do in the movie beer fest again a movie where americans beat germans playing a traditionally german game so something that we'd be good at and all i remember is that it involves a lot of drinking and there's the final the final competition is to drink a boot. And that's like the climax of the movie is when we finally figure out how to drink the boot correctly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Yeah. I think the name of the game is Beer Fest. Okay. Then let's just call it that Beer Fest. Yeah. Yeah. Beer Fest. I mean, that sounds good too. I mean, it's like good branding already for it. Um, as long as America wins, I'm in. Yeah. If we're so being I think completely this is honest. One that the Germans would would definitely compete well in, but I think that we would ultimately be able to be able to pull it off. Yeah. I gotta say I haven't seen this movie. Okay. I'm being honest. Yeah. The description of it <laughs> yeah. is nuts. Yeah. Uh, swearing to get revenge on the Germans, Jan and Todd return to Colorado where they recruit their drinking friends. Binge drinker Phil Landfill Crundle, Jewish scientist Charlie Fink Finkelstein, and male prostitute Barry Badranath. Mm-hmm. What a what a lineup that is. Yeah. I think I watched this movie accidentally when I was like 13 and I shouldn't have watched it. Oh, one of those. Really inappropriate. Yeah. But I st- it just still sticks in my mind. Oh, my God. Yeah. Look at this. All right. Yeah. No, I'm in on that. Good right, call. Sweet. Yeah. 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 All right. What's your next one? All right. Here's my next one. Another sort of combination of what currently exists and adding a little bit of an alcohol meat twist to it. Mm-hmm. Archery. But instead of shooting at a target, 
or whatever they shoot at now in the Olympics, you shoot at flying beer cans. And once you puncture it with the arrow, you have to run over and shotgun the rest shotgun. of the beer. Yeah. Uh, way more of a test of athleticism because you both have to run over to the thing that you shot quickly enough and be able to shotgun it quickly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the only flaw is that I'm pretty sure an arrow piercing through the air, however fast it goes, and then goes. colliding into the can might make a bit too big of a hole for a normal mm-hmm. shotgun. Might just demolish the can. But otherwise, the math checks out. Otherwise, yeah. I think it's a good idea. Well, I think that's part of the... You get a penalty if you explode the beer. Oh, my so God. Part of the, you, have to, you have to have some finesse. That's genius. There you go. That's genius. Plus it's, hitting, plus, it's hitting a moving target, which archery, it's like you're just hitting... It's just standing still. I know. That's no fun. Big Anybody deal. can do that. Yeah. Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm in. I like that. Um, it's kind of like beer darts to the extreme. Yeah. Olympic beer darts, Olympic beer darts. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Um, my, my next one, uh, is would work better if it was, you got Olympic cups instead of, um, uh, instead medals. of medals something yeah. to drink out of like the claret jug or the Stanley cup. Yeah. But let's just say there's Olympic trophies and they're massive trophies, like right. huge. And you drink out of all of them and it's just a boat race, but with trophies and you get to keep it. If you win, I haven't, I, I didn't flesh this out very much, <laughs> but no, but I get the idea. Yeah, it's basically like boat idea. racing with trophies. And then you get to keep the thing. You exactly. get to keep the trophy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see what you're saying. Maybe you could do it like chocolate chip cookies, but you win a medal because that's kind of shaped the same or burger patties. Burger I patties to... works better because of the meat thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. I'll give mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And boat racing is is drinking yeah i'm iffy on that one it's good yeah i can see it having a place yeah you might need a little bit more yeah yeah that's fair that's fair yeah all right what's your next uh, one all right my i have two left but i only have one good one so this is my last one i'm just gonna go a little peek behind the curtains delete (laughs) my other one uh okay so i think beer mile has to be in there for sure it's just like a true test of athleticism brings in drinking way more fun than just watching people run a normal mile but here's the twist speed walking i watched some speed walking when it was on in the olympics the absolute craziest shit i've ever seen every time i see it it's i can't believe it's a real thing so you just bring in the beer mile but they can't have both feet in the air at the same time okay Okay. Is it still a mile? Or they yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's still okay. a mile. Still Dude, you want to hear, you want to hear the <laughs> dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life uh-huh. in speed walking. You know how you can't have like, you can't have both feet in the air as be walking. So like one foot yeah, has yeah, to be yeah. on the ground. Yeah. The commentator said that if you were to put it in like super slow motion, every speed walker cheats. Like they're actually running. But the judges, it's just like an eye test. So they never like penalize them because they're just like, oh, can. it doesn't look like their feet are off the ground. 
which is like the running equivalent of the NBA when you know like you hit it out of bounds off someone and it's like yeah. oh I hit the ball out but it touched your fingertip last but it's the entire sport it's the entire sport the entire premise of the sport huh is that not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard yeah that kind of that kind of ruins the legitimacy of the whole thing huh <laughs> I know it's just yeah. the whole entire sport is the referee is turning a blind eye yeah it's fraudulent huh I didn't know that. Well, that seems like enough evidence right there to replace it with your thing. Yeah, at least if we're already being stupid about yeah. it, just add some beer in. Exactly. Clearly, the rules don't mean anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, now they're going to start policing the sport. Like, just throw in a couple of years. A couple years ago, that some dude like shit his pants uh, during the speed walking competition. Uh, no, that feeling. was me and Denny's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh i think i think so i think so all right well themselves. that part that part of it we can keep you're still allowed to shit your pants oh my god that's hilarious too because the penalty in beer mile for puking is another beer we're still saying puking not good you can't puke shitting you your pants shit. yeah that's part of the sport it's part of the sport it's like yeah. sticky stuff <laughs> yeah it's part of the sport. you can actually you can run a lap if you shit your pants Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah to improve your time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't get rid of people shitting their pants because they might get injured. You know, mm-hmm. it's part of it's been part of the sport so long. <laughs> it's part of this, it's part of their training. Yeah. You're gonna yeah. have people getting Tommy Johns. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm in. I'm uh I'm I'm all in on that. So it's uh, you're uh four for four here. Uh well, with what do I no, my fourth one is bad. Oh, your fourth my one three. is bad. So you're three, three for three. Three for three. Well, let's say three for four because I did. Anyway, all right. Do yeah. you have one more? Uh, I do, and it's not very out of the box, and it technically doesn't really involve meat or alcohol directly. Okay, but it's always intertwined with these things, and it's also I think I just picked them all based on what America would be good at. Yeah, and there's no way that we wouldn't dominate cornhole. Hmm. And I recently, this is also very, this is, this also might just be a list of things that I watched on the 4th of July. Uh, but I watched the, the ACL American Cornhole Association. Yep. Shit. Uh, national championships on the 4th of July. And it was electric. Um, I could watch that forever. And we have a ton of dominant athletes. And I think, I think you could definitely find ways to incorporate alcohol into it as well, because that's part of the sport. Yeah. I mean, it should just be a prerequisite. Yeah. It should be like, you have to, like you had to take steroids in the mid two thousands to play baseball. Exactly. Tested you to make sure you were taking steroids. You just have Mm -hmm. to drink beer throughout the cornhole game. I think that's a fine idea. Yeah. Um, You're right that we would definitely dominate that though. I mean, America must, I mean, the gap between how serious Americans take cornhole and the second place in that must not even be close. I'm not sure it it exists anywhere else besides America. But to be honest, I mean, look at what our powerhouses have been doing this Olympics. Jack shit. US, U.S. men's basketball team looking pretty shaky. U.S. women's soccer team, they just lost. These are... These were guarantees before and now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to make up 
for our, you know, soon to be falling metal count by yeah. trying to jack those numbers up for us. Yeah. Forget yeah. if you can't beat them, join them. If you can't beat them, add more events that make you're already sports. good at. Yes. Yeah, make exactly. up new sports. Well, I'll tell you what, too. My sister moving to Atlanta in a couple of weeks is trying to get me to join a recreational cornhole league. So I'm just going to put my name, my name in the hat. Uh, I could be out there. You know what? I, I had a very long conversation uh, with Carson about that. If we dedicated a year of our lives to playing cornhole and we joined the league as like loud, obnoxious, guys that bring some energy to the sport because that was the one thing is the dudes are all exactly the same they're exactly who you'd expect they're to be white really good at pornhole men that drinking are, beer no, yeah um so it could use a little bit of excitement so i've i've been seriously considering you know putting in a little practice court in the backyard you know practicing my tosses and seeing if i can make it to the olympics in 2024 yeah, you guys will be the Tiger Woods of cornhole. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. revive the sport. Mm-hmm. The Andre I love it. The bad boys of the competition, you know. I'm all in. I think those were some awesome additions. There you go, Summer Olympics. Solved. Add some more me and alcohol. And that was our show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Stick around next week when we have Daniel Ricardo on our I... podcast fucking knew you were gonna pick an f1 guy <laughs> when when you said when i said don't think of someone who we're having next week and you were like got one i was like it's either lewis hamilton or Verstappen, and it was oh, ricardo up with ricardo yeah my it's guy. really really fun interview fun guy uh we're now jmo and i are now f1 heads uh gear heads whatever you want to call them um after watching the grand prix this weekend so um <laughs> we're Uh, We're all aboard the F1 train, so get ready. This is now an F1 podcast. This is an F1 podcast, and I know we joke about the guest next week, but actually, unless things change, what our plan is for next week, or I haven't actually fully ran this by you, is I think we just get food and drinks that we think are very European or F1-like, and then just shoot the shit about F1 for an hour. I'm thinking some Prosecco. Daniel Ricardo. With Daniel Ricardo. (laughs) With Daniel Ricardo. Um, but thank you all for listening. Follow us on social media at me sports. Alec. I say this every week. We're blowing up on TikTok. That's not a joke. Uh, all right, fam. Peace. Peace and love. Today is going to be the day that they're going to throw it back to you. By now, you should have somehow realized what you got to do. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. Because maybe Because maybe